the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything and everything as it relates to the Word of God. And all you have to do is to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can dial 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And especially today, it's wet out on the streets, and I understand that there are crowds around grocery stores and gas stations. Be really careful. The safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of 1 Kings chapter 4. Kind of a boring Bible study, but you know, not every... Bible studies dynamic, but we're going verse by verse through the Bible, so uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, tonight at 7 o'clock, you can watch live at calvaryessay.com, or you can come and join us um, with the weather bearing down on us tomorrow. I imagine the there will be plenty of room tonight. And then tomorrow, Lord willing, Paul and I will be live in studio for the date day edition of the program Um if we, for some reason, aren't on live, it's because KSLR has closed, but it is our intent to do the program, and we would uh, love to have you join us. And hey, if it's as cold as it's supposed to be tomorrow, you don't have anything else to do anyway. So you can join us here on the program. Well, let me get to some questions that have been sent in, and um, we will go from there. Here is the first question. This one comes from Brian from our email inbox. Uh, would it be justified to leave a church for the following reasons? Uh, first, in support of BLM, Black Lives Matter, both pastors posted the blackout screen on their Facebook accounts. Uh, secondly, a book that promotes white guilt being used as a group study guide. Uh, and then a third question. I'll get that um, to that one in a minute. But let me take these two while they're kind of together. Uh, Brian, I, I would not attend a church um, where um, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ decided that all people in their church weren't created equal and are equal in the eyes of God. Um, you know, we can support justice over injustice for sure, uh, but to support Black Lives Matter um, and uh, to promote a book that basically condemns white people for being racist is offensive to me personally. I've been accused of being racist. I've been married to the most beautiful black woman in the world for, or we've been together for 52 years. And, um, you know, I don't want somebody telling me that I bear guilt uh, for the, the wrongs that have been, um, uh, that have occurred against 
uh, people of color uh, over the centuries of this. We all have an individual uh, responsibility. And for me personally, um, uh, and I have a public forum, uh, I'm on record publicly as saying over and over and over that any type of prejudice is sin. Any type of prejudice betrays a heart that says it's for God. And um, so, no, I, yes, I would not go to a church like that. I would sit down with those pastors. Um, I would imagine there's all kinds of other doctrinal issues with those churches. But, Brian, I would not, for any reason, uh, trust a man like that to teach the Bible to me because he doesn't have an understanding of what the Bible says. Church ought to be, and let me get on a soapbox here just for a minute. Church ought to be the one place in this world that we can go to where race is not an issue. Now, I'm not denying that there are racists in church. That is true. It has always been true. But the church itself of Jesus Christ, God identifies or recognizes two groups of people and two groups of people only, saved and unsaved. The unsaved, regardless of their color or national origin, the unsaved are the object of the ministry of the saved. And if you don't love them, you have nothing to communicate to them. You have no good news. So those of us who are truly saved, truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be the people with the least prejudice in the world and we are not responsible for the institutional racism that people are pointing their fingers at. This is a place that is a safe zone because we have one thing in common. Everybody who's going to come tonight, everybody who comes on Sunday for Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel, every single one of us has one thing in common. We're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and our black hearts are now made white by that precious blood. And this ought to be the one place, the one place that people can come to and truly see everybody the way Jesus sees them. Does that mean there aren't racists who come to church, whether it's here or anyplace else? Of course not. We're fallen people. It's just that those people then can be influenced by the Holy Spirit through the teaching of the Word. And to embrace this nonsense is the worst thing in the world. Additionally, Black Lives Matter, um, while the statement itself is true, uh, the organization is anti-God. It's anti-Christ. Um, it, it's anti-family. It's anti-male uh, authority. And while the Bible is certainly uh, patriarchal in its view. So there's just so many things wrong, Brian, with this kind of... Um, uh, approach. Um, you know, our country is obsessed with race. It's everywhere. It shouldn't be so in the Church of Jesus Christ. So, uh, this is, I, I, I want to be very, very strong uh, in that comment. Uh, the second part of his question is, does having a gay teenage son living at home disqualify a man from being a pastor? Uh, the answer to that is probably no. And when I, I say probably, the qualifier there is if he, if that pastor is rightly representing Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, we pastors are not responsible for the choices that our children make. Um, we, we are only responsible to respond in a godly way. And if this pastor is telling this gay son that uh, he is a uh, uh, he's not to live uh, the life practice the lifestyle, uh, if he's sharing Jesus with him, um, if if he's insisting on godly behavior in the home, uh, then no, he's not at all disqualified from being a pastor. Um, I, I know pastor friends who have children who have come out and said that they were gay. Um, um, you know, again, that's the responsibility. That's their choice. And all we can do is say, in my home, this home belongs to Jesus. In my home, we're not going to permit that kind of behavior. I'm not going to do anything to accommodate your relationships. 
Uh, I'm going to, and I would say this, by the way, to a heterosexual child who is living at my home, we're not going to tolerate any sexual relationship whatsoever because all sex outside of marriage is sin. And um, if, if the pastor is rightly representing Jesus, and if he is uh, insisting on um, that son living according to the rules established in the household, um, then when that child leaves the home, he can make the decisions that he wants to make, but, but not, not under this pastor's roof. So, no, it does not disqualify him from being a pastor unless, of course, he is... Um, how can I put this? Unless he's um, accommodating it or encouraging the relationship, that is certainly something that uh, would disqualify him from being a pastor. Here is an anonymous question. It starts off with an understatement. Reading Job has been very hard. Why did his friends accuse him of hidden sin? You know, Anonymous, when uh, I taught Job, uh, and, and I didn't want to teach it, uh, honestly, um, I've, uh, I, you know, we, we, we Bible teachers, we often experience the things that we're teaching. And all I could think about was, oh, Lord, I'm not ready to experience these things, the kind of pain and suffering that Job had to go through. So I understand that it is really, really hard. Um, I was concerned unnecessarily um, because the, the book of Job had an enormous impact on our church. If you are interested in Anonymous, you can go to calvaryessay.com and go to our Bible studies um, section. And and uh, I, I did a very extensive teaching uh, on the book of Job. And, and it changed people in our church. It changes perspectives. Uh, and I think I think it's supposed to be hard when we're, when we're reading about somebody who's suffering, uh, somebody who belongs to the Lord. I think it's supposed to be hard. Uh, our hearts hurt. We we mourn with those who mourn, and uh, it's been really really difficult. But at the same time, it's been very very rewarding. Now, regarding why his friends accused him of hidden sin. Um, you know, the, the answer to that question is that we humans think we know stuff. We think we got God figured out. You know, if we live right, we think God is going to bless us. If something goes wrong, then we think, God, what did I do? Why are you mad at me? And that's to, to judge God's heart. And certainly we don't want to be guilty of that. But that's exactly what Job's friends did. Uh, they believed Job to be a righteous man. Nobody could make sense of his suffering, his pain, the enormous grief from losing his family. I mean, he lost uh, 10 children the same day. Uh, His finances collapsed. His health deserted him. And after listening to Job, Asking why is this happening, and and finally they just had enough, and they said, "Well, well, well, uh, the God that we believe in, the God that we think we know, and and that's my addition here, anonymous. Um, um, he would bless you, it, but but this is a result of something hidden in your life." And Job would say over and over and over, "No, there's no such sin. I haven't done anything, and we know he hadn't, uh, but they just couldn't." figure out why somebody that was right with God would be suffering to the extent Job was, and they came to the the misguided conclusion that he must be hiding something, and they got really, really, really rough with him. And what they turned out to be is anything other than friends. So that's why they did it. Now, before we're hard on them, we do the same thing. Something goes wrong in a family, we, we immediately jump to the conclusion that uh, God must be punishing them or God must be disciplining. But even worse than that, we do that in our own lives because we think we've got God figured out. If I'm good, if I'm doing what I should, then everything is going to be okay. But but if not, God is going to punish me. And that's exactly the opposite. One other thing about Job Anonymous that I think is the most important lesson in the whole book the the question i mean it should be on every page kind of kind of in the background of the the 
the text, but should be there, is the three-word question, or the three-letter question, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And you'll notice that God never answers the question, why? And we who are believers, we need to stop asking God, why? Why did this happen? Why didn't I get this job? Why are people uh, saying false things against me? Why, why, why? And, And instead of seeking the answer to the question why, we need to change the question and make it who. And in the process of our struggles, our trials, that's when we need to find Jesus in the middle of it. So don't ask why, ask who. And when we want to know why, We have to make sure that our heart is not questioning God. It's okay to ask God questions. But I can promise you, you're simply not going to get answers to the questions um, um, when we ask why. His ways are not our ways. And, And Jesus would always say, here I am. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Apostle Paul didn't ask God why. And yet the peace of God that passes understanding was his. And by the way, it's yours and mine as well. So thank you for the question. Let's go to Horatio in San Marcos. Horatio, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. A question about uh, Job's wife. Does he have more kids? Do you have another wife to have no kids? Or first wife? Yeah, uh, Horatio, there's no record at all of him having another wife. So uh, uh, God gave them 10 more children. And, um, you know, sometimes people get a little cavalier with that and say, well, you know, God gave him double everything that he had. Uh, but that doesn't replace the, the, the grief coming from the loss. But no, he and his wife would have had more children. Uh, God gave them double what they lost and, uh, of course, restored his health. But no, she did. he did not have other, other wives. This was simply a thing where God blessed them with 10 additional children. It's sort of a, uh, let's fast forward to the future and see how all this turned out. And, uh, again, it doesn't replace the, the grief from the loss. But uh, Job, Job had more children um, after the ones that were taken. So he had 20 children, we'd say, 10 that uh, uh, went to heaven and 10 that lived with him uh, on this world. He was a great dad, by the way. Made sacrifices for the, the offerings for the sins of his sons in case they forgot. I mean, this was a godly man. No wonder God could say, I have no one like him. And that's why Satan sort of singled him out to go after him. Good question, Horatio. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question um, from oh, an, an Anonymous again. Uh, what would you say to a pastor who's leaving his wife because he's miserable? Uh, anonymous, I would say to him to repent. Um, I would say um, to step down from his role as a pastor. Um, the man that can't manage his own home certainly can't manage the, the church of Jesus Christ. And, and this is a man who uh, seems only be able to love um, if if he's getting what he wants out of the relationship. And this is not a sacrificial love at all. So I would tell that pastor he's in sin. He needs to repent. And probably even for, for getting to this point, he, he probably needs to step away for a while and understand what a privilege, what an honor it is to be called by God to be a shepherd to his people. This is not somebody who is others-focused. This is somebody who is only concerned about how he feels. Now, obviously, there's always two sides to a story, but um, I can I can tell you straight up, Anonymous, that um, my pastors all know when, when they come on and we reinforce this throughout the years. I, I Praise the Lord, I have very little turnover. But as we've grown and added pastors... Uh, they all know that if their marriage goes sideways, they step away. they got to be willing to fix the most important thing, and that's a relationship at home. So I would say to this pastor that he is uh, displeasing God, and he needs to repent and make things right. 340-9585, here is a question from Linda. 
She says, is it possible to hear from God? I know Christians who say they hear from him all the time, but I have never heard him literally. Um, Linda, it is possible to hear from God, but not audibly. Uh, Sometimes God can speak so clearly that it's as though it were audible. I've had those situations, oh, I don't know, a couple of dozen times in my 31 years this month with Jesus. Um, um, But um, anybody who says they hear audibly from God uh, is wrong. It's simply not consistent with what the Word of God says. Uh, We also, Linda, need to be just a little skeptical uh, when people say that God spoke to him this and God spoke to him that. God will never contradict himself. And most of people, when they say they heard God's voice, um, they demonstrate that they really didn't because they don't follow through. You know, if we really heard God's voice, he told us to do something, you'd think we'd be faithful doing it. And most people, they'll take that step and then the enemy's going to be right there. And and they really didn't hear from God at all. For some reason, we humans have an affinity for making other people think that we're more spiritual than we are. Linda, if somebody hears from God, they're going to hear from him first and foremost and almost exclusively. I know that's a uh, a, a contradiction, um, but but I'll explain. Um, the, the Word of God, the Bible, is the place we're going to hear from God 98% of the time. And um, um, what we hear from the Lord will be consistent with the Word. And in those times when the Lord speaks to our hearts, and He does do that, the, the, the couple of dozen times, and that's just an about number, but the couple of dozen times that the Lord has spoken to my heart so profoundly that it, it, it was like he was there in the room with me. Um, uh, it was as though it was audible. And everything that, that he said was consistent with his word. And then just to be sure, he confirmed it for me at some point um, um, in his word. So, so, so yes, God speaks to our heart, but that's not the primary focus. I think one of the reasons, Linda, that we like to, to hear from God that way instead of hearing from him through his word is because it doesn't take that much time um, to hear from God. You know, uh, I, I promise you, if you say, okay, Lord, I need to know about this, um, the, the spirits are going to start screaming at you. That's why First John chapter 4, the first verse says, brothers, test a spirit. Not every spirit is from God. There's a lot of demonic spirits out there that are shouting and yelling at us. And we hear their voices, Linda, all the time. So how do we discern if it's from God or if it's from um, uh, a demonic spirit? Um, The answer is simple. What does the word say? And God will never contradict himself. And I think that's one thing that would keep people out of so much trouble. All of this to say, Linda, that the people that you say, um, they, they tell you they hear from God all the time, um, really aren't hearing from him at all. If you're not in the word, if you seek him diligently, he will be found. If you ask for wisdom, he will give it generously, liberally. That's James. Um, but you're not really seeking him if you're not in the Word at all. So this is the kind of stuff that we got to get past. we we got to stop pretending that, that somehow hearing from God makes us more spiritual. The truth of the matter, Linda, in my life is that I heard from the Lord more frequently and more clearly when I was a brand new Christian than I do today those voices, those spirits. And the reason that was true is because God was showing off for me. God was demonstrating how eager he was to be involved in my life. And he was protecting me. I'm just a baby Christian. He was protecting me from doing dumb things. But as we grow in the Lord, he wants us to rely on walking with him by faith. And the the, the more often we... Um, can we spend time with him? The the more we hang around him, um, the, the more we can trust him, and so that then those things become steps of faith. They become trials or tests 
uh, to see if we're going to run to God. So, um, um, you know, God always tells me whatever I really need to hear. The problem, Linda, is he doesn't think I need to hear as much as I think I need to hear sometimes. So if you're in the Word, you're hearing from him. On those situations that aren't covered specifically in the Word, if you are in the Word, then you say, okay, Lord, I need an answer. And I believe he'll confirm it to you through his word. And if you're, you you want some sort of confirmation, I believe you'll take a long walk with the Lord and say, Lord, I really need to know what to do in this situation because he loves you and cares for you. I believe he will tell you exactly what you need to know. Yes, no, not yet, be patient. I've only got... I'm into a minute here in the in this half of the program, so I don't want to go to another question. In in the scariest time of my life here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, oh, there it is. Maybe I'll come back to it. I'll pray during the break and see if I need it. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877 KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program 340-9585 let me finish my thought i wasn't going to do it and then my producer said now you gotta you gotta tell him uh the the one time in our history here at the church where um, it was the scariest time. Um, our school was, I don't know, two, three years old. It was about to bankrupt the church. And I just didn't know what to do. And I remember walking, taking a walk with Jesus and just pleading with him, Lord, I, I, if I'm wrong, I'll go tell people I'm wrong. I'll repent. I'll, it doesn't matter. I just want to know, uh, I, I'm, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And he would not answer me. I said, Lord, am I out of your will? And finally, he sort of in a stern way, he said, I'm with you today, right? And I said, yes. I was with you yesterday, right? Yes. Well, then how can you be out of my will? Sidebar here. If you're with Jesus today, you don't have to worry about his will. If you're with him, if you're truly with him, you can't miss his will for your life. Now, back to the story. And I said to him, I said, Lord, the way we're going, it looks like, and this is just the language I use, I said, it looks like we're walking right off the edge of a cliff. And instead of telling me, no, it's going to be okay, you know what he said? He said, if I go off that cliff with you, are you okay with that? And I had to tell him, Lord, yeah, I'm okay with it. I mean, I, I certainly don't want that, but, but as long as I'm with you, that's all I need to know. And so he didn't say anything. He just said, keep walking. Um, so so I, didn't, I didn't need to hear from the Lord except that sort of correction. And uh, things turned out fine. But, but it was a really, really difficult test and yet we're required as Christians to pass those tests. So I hope that helps, Linda. Thank you. Our mobile app, this one is Natasha. She says, <laughs> she says, uh, how would Judaizers know if someone was circumcised or not? My real awkward question is, how did they check if they were or were not? Um, Natasha, a Judaizer, um, uh, when, when somebody became a convert to Judaism, uh, they were they they obviously had to be circumcised. Other, otherwise, you know, children were 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 circumcised on the eighth day of, of life. 
Uh, but if they would come as adults, Simon uh, of Cyrene is a good example. Um, they would be circumcised, and it would be a religious ritual, and the rabbi who did the circumcision would give them sort of a certificate. There would be a record of these kind of things. So they wouldn't have to, to, to actually physically look to see if they were circumcised. Um, there would be a record of it uh, as part of the religious ceremony. Um, you know, we baptize people. It's sort of the same kind of of um, public identification with Christ as as circumcision was for a Jew. Um, and and typically we don't we don't have uh, uh, certificates or anything for baptism, but usually they're public, and so. Uh, if somebody would say, well, how do I know you've been baptized? Well, I was baptized here and a bunch of people saw it. So we would have, well, the Judaizers or, or the converts to Judaism, they would uh, have a certificate from the rabbi who who uh, performed the circumcision. So that's how they would know. Thank you for that real awkward question, as you said. Appreciate it. Here's a question from Mark. Pastor Ron, in Revelation, Jesus makes us, makes promises to overcomers. Who are these overcomers? Are they tribulation survivors? Mark, in, in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, Jesus is making promises, glorious promises, to overcomers. But in context, he's identified the thing that he's asking them to overcome. Uh, in Ephesus, as an example, uh, this one thing against you, you've left or forsaken your first love. And he would tell them to return to their first love. Um, and, and, and so they were the overcomers. These are not tribulation survivors. Uh, this book was written in probably 95 A.D. Uh, so, so obviously the Great Tribulation hasn't happened at all. So the overcomers are those who overcome the things or make adjustments on the things that Jesus told him to make adjustments. Now, the same author, John the Apostle, who wrote Revelation, also identifies overcomers in 1 John 5, 5. Who is it that overcomes? Only he. And he's talking about born-again believers. Only he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So the overcomers are those who have overcome sin, we've overcome death, um, and we've done it by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the overcomers. One other word on overcoming, Mark. Um, We all of us need never to get comfortable with falling short of the glory of God. So we need to strive to be overcomers. Now, let's strive in our own strength, certainly. But in the power of the Holy Spirit and the way we overcome those besetting sins is we confess them, he forgives us of those sins and cleanses us or purifies us from all unrighteousness. So that's who the overcomers really are. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Jeremiah. He says, I have trouble reconciling the gift of discernment. And then in parentheses, he wrote, we all have the Holy Spirit and the many different interpretations of the Bible. Jeremiah, uh, this is this is a question that I get often stated slightly differently. Uh, if we all have the same Holy Spirit, why do we have so many different interpretations? Um, remember, the Bible is perfect. The Holy Spirit living in us is perfect. But the house, this these flesh and blood bodies that are a result of a fallen world are imperfect. So we can have a perfect Bible and an imperfect interpretation simply because of our own shortcomings. So um, discernment, if you ask the Lord for it, if you invest in it, and by that, Jeremiah, I mean you, you are in the Word and you're looking for answers. You're studying to show yourself approved, a workman rightly dividing the Word of God. God will give you discernment. You'll know what's right and what's wrong. And don't worry about the different interpretations of the Bible. Um, we're different personalities. We come from different backgrounds. We've all got a filter of our life experience. Um, so so this is a, a very personal process. And you seek the Lord and, and seek his understanding about these passages of Scripture that there are different interpretations on 
I'll give you an example. Uh, the gift of tongues. You know, why Why are there so many people who say, you're not even saved if you don't speak in tongues, or you don't have the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues? The answer is because they don't know their Bible. So when I come up with a biblical answer to that question, I don't need to worry about whether somebody else's interpretation is right or wrong. All I have to do is make sure that my interpretation agrees with what the Word says. And when somebody has a different interpretation that is inconsistent with the Word, then I don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal and certainly not going to influence me. And that's a simple way of saying that we are imperfect. We have an agenda. We have a predisposition to things. And that's why really being a student of God's Word will fix things, will help things get better. So so just understand that that He will give you the discernment you need. If you lack wisdom, ask, and the Lord gives it generously. Um, and then don't worry about the other interpretations of the Bible. Um in essentials, we have to stand pat and stand firm. But in non-essentials, uh, people can be wrong. I say only half kidding. Jeremiah all the time, give me an example with uh, eschatology, the rapture of the church. I tell people all the time, you're entitled to your opinion. It's wrong, but you're entitled to it. And they can study, just like I'm studying, and come up with their own answers. So Jeremiah, again, I think it's, best just to really, really rightly divide your word. And then uh, perhaps God will use you to change some hearts and minds. <clears throat> Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls. Here's a question from Wendy. Pastor Ron, why doesn't God take away the coronavirus? Wendy, why doesn't God take away cancer? Why doesn't God take away the common cold? Why doesn't God take away the flu? Because he doesn't. The first half of the program, I talked about not asking God why. Uh, the coronavirus is something that this world um, is suffering from. Um, and Jesus will be with you during it. But, but no, he's not just going to take it away. I pray for him too, but he hasn't answered my prayer yet. Um, but, but Wendy, I think... I, I, when we ask questions like this one, it's almost like what we're saying is, Lord, we deserve a world without all these troubles, without all these problems. You know, Wendy, we've got people in the hospitals. I think everybody does. This new strain of, the, of, of COVID is so contagious. Uh, everybody's going to get it at one point or another. But Jesus is right there with you when when you do. Um, it's a good time to spend more time in your Bible. Why would you expect that God would take it away? This is a result of a fallen world. God said to Adam, the day you eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And he died spiritually instantly and he began the process that would lead to his death 950 years later. Well, that same thing is true today. Although we don't live as long, we're dying. It's not what God ever wanted. I think of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. And he broke down crying. He wept bitterly. And the reason he wept wasn't for Lazarus. He knew what he was going to do. But it was because the world that he created to be perfect had fallen so far. I think it's one of the reasons Jesus had so much empathy on the blind and the lepers and the demon possessed. He was setting things right for them because he knew that things would never be right in the world again until he returns. So, Wendy, don't ask God why. Look for the who. Jesus, I need you. It's okay to tell him that you're afraid. It's okay to tell him that, that you don't want to get it. But if you do, he'll be there with you. And he wants you to know, like he told the Apostle Paul, his grace is sufficient for you. So, Wendy, I hope that makes sense to you. If we have a God who's supposed to make everything really, really easy for us, uh, it's not the God of the Bible. He didn't even spare his own son, didn't even answer Jesus' prayer for deliverance from the cross. He didn't answer the Apostle Paul's prayers for healing. 
even while Paul was healing other multitudes of other people. We have no right to expect in a fallen world that things are going to be easy for us. Here is another anonymous question. How can we show the love of Christ to gay and trans people when they think we hate them? Anonymous, you're only responsible for what God knows about your heart. I think that's a really important thing for us to consider. You know, um, if if somebody who is gay or, or, or transgender uh, if they're looking to be offended, then they're going to be offended. They're going to judge your heart and ascribe um, bad motives to you. But all you have to do is know that between you and God, he knows your heart. And you show the love of Christ, first of all, by sharing Jesus with them. You show the love of Christ by treating them with dignity and respect. I, I think we cross a line at times when we look at them like they're weird or broken people. Now, it's true, we're all weird and we're all broken. But, but, but if we don't engage them like they're intelligent human beings, and, and hey, I've got good news for you. Jesus died for sins. If they accuse you of not loving them because you said that, then your response has to be, no, I love you so much, I'm willing to tell you the truth, knowing that you're probably going to judge me for doing it. I want you to go to heaven. The only way to go to heaven is to be a born-again Christian. And I would focus at that point the conversation on Jesus rather than on their sexual um, preferences or, or uh, choices. So um, show the love of Christ to them every day and don't worry about what they think. We're too concerned about what people think, and especially in this social media world that we live in. Uh, we're afraid of being canceled. We're afraid of being uh, losing jobs, all kinds of things. Just tell people the truth and let God deal with the, 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 the outpouring of side effects. So anonymous, don't worry about it. Here is a question from Evan. Um spelled like a man, but I'm not sure. So he or she says, do you think God wants Christians to live in sort of a voluntary socialism like in Acts chapter 4? Um, no, Evan, and, and that's not voluntary socialism in Acts chapter 4. Um, I've heard this before. Uh, well, that's the, the, the economic system where everybody takes care of everybody else. No, that's forced. When a government does it, it's forced. This was a commentary on Christian love. That's all this was. They loved so deeply in their hearts. They loved one another that they couldn't bear to see another Christian doing without something that they needed. And so those who could provide help did. That was just a move of God's spirit. It has nothing to do with government or economy. So no, Evan... Uh, voluntary socialism is not God's preferred economy. You know, it's it's always amazing to me when people uh, and and you're asking the question. So I'm not saying that that this is is what you've been thinking, but 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 often when I've been challenged by this question um, uh, by people who who lean toward wanting socialism, is they want everybody to take care of everybody. And in the first century church, uh, individuals did it. It's easy to, to want everybody to be equal when it doesn't cost you. But the idea here is they just couldn't say no. And they didn't even have to be asked. They'd see somebody. Remember, in the first century church, it was, it was completely Jewish for a long time. Uh, probably nine years uh, before Samaria and, and uh, the Gentiles and Cornelius uh, came into the church. Um, Jews would be disowned by their families for converting to Christianity. And suddenly these people had no family, they were on their own, and other Christians stepped up and took care of them, provided for them, and loved them, and let them know that your family here may have deserted you, but, but God's brought you into a whole new family, and we'll take care of you. And so that has nothing to do with the commentary on, on a preferred economic system. All that is is God saying, that's what ought to be happening these 2,000 years later. 
when you see somebody in need and you've got the opportunity to help them, the very least we should do is pray for them. Ask God, do you want me to help? Do you want me to? And sometimes people say, well, I don't have that much. Well, it's okay. Are you willing to give what you do have? It's disingenuous to expect the government to have a system that would give people things if you're not willing to give what you have. And I've found very few political socialists who are willing to give their stuff. They want the government to give everybody else's stuff. So, Evan, I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question as well. Um, Hello, Pastor. I'm a single mom, and I have a 12-year-old. Her dad has been out of her life since she was two. He started coming back into her life since 2020. It's still not consistent, and she doesn't know him. He wants me to make her go and see him. He's not uh, he's not on child support and doesn't help in any. I've been doing this on my own all her life. I guess my question is, should I force her to go and make her see him? Thank you for all you do. Anonymous, um, thank you for the nice words. Um, no, I don't think you should make her do anything. Uh, it's real simple. For dad wants back into his life. Uh, and I'm going to be really, really blunt here. He needs to pay. Period. She's 12 years old. You've been taking care of her. He hasn't contributed anything. Um, I'd make him prove that he wants to be in, his, in her life. Pay. Pay child support. This is your child as well. And I'm not going to make her do anything. Now, if you step up the way a dad should, then we'll reintroduce you into the family unit. But if he's not willing to pay, if he's not willing to, to care for her, then he doesn't really love her. The other thing that, that uh, really stuck out, as I read, was um, that, that he's not consistent. And that's just setting her up for heartbreak. So I just say, you know what, we're fine the way we are until you decide you're really committed. And, and you're going to have to prove that to me. And you're going to prove it by paying. You're going to prove it by keeping your promises. Period. And then a time will come when I'll feel like uh, I can trust this child, my child, with you. There's nothing unloving about that at all. Um, but 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 somebody who wants the benefits of being a dad uh, without the responsibilities is not ready to come back into her life. So I hope that makes sense to you. But never force her. And in fact, if since she doesn't know him, um, um, I, I wouldn't even let them be alone uh, for uh, um, uh, until I knew that he was going to be consistent in her life. A uh, 12-year-old is just too um, fragile uh, to mess with that way. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. I'm sorry for men. I apologize for men all the time. We're inside four minutes. Steve says, what is meant when people say they are deconstructing their faith? Um, Steve, I hadn't seen your question for a few days, so I'd forgotten. Uh, I hate that word. That's why I, I made that comment. Um, what, what that means, and they won't admit this, but this is what it really means. Well, I'm trying to find a way to have a relationship with Jesus and go to heaven without doing what the Bible tells me to do. That's what deconstructing their faith means. I want to keep sinning, but I want to have a relationship with Jesus, and I want to go to heaven. That's what they mean. So they deconstruct their faith, they throw away everything they were raised to believe, and basically they come up with their own version of their personal religion. Um, you know, instead of us being created in the image of God, we are recreating him in our image, and that never works, Steve. So when people are deconstructing their faith, they're, they're, they're looking for a way to sin and feel good about it and still believe that they're okay with God and they're going to heaven. And it just doesn't work. Our faith is a solid rock, and you can't deconstruct a solid rock. Our God is immovable. He is unyielding. And you can't de deconstruct 
immovable and unyielding. So understand the heart of the question. And when I talk to people who use that with me, and I always sort of grab my head when they say that, my hand on my forehead, just they, oh, what? And, and they'll say, what? Well, say, what you're really trying to do is tell me that you want a way to sin and still be okay with it? Yeah, because I think God wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be obedient. And those conversations, Steve, don't usually end very well at all. So uh, this is now a big buzzword on the Internet. You can go to uh, what I would call liberal, and by that I don't mean politically liberal, but but theologically liberal websites, uh, progressive Christian websites, and, and it's all the buzz. And they, they applaud people deconstructing their faith because it's okay. Now you can have sex with somebody you're not married to, or you can be gay, or you can be transgender. And it's okay because God loves you just the way you are, and that's not a faith at all. We have the faith once forever delivered to the saints. And God does not change, and we need to remember that. One minute. Do I have one quick question? Here's a quick one. Marty says, is the church in Israel the same, inheriting the same promises? Marty, no. The church is the church, and Israel is Israel, and we have completely different promises. And in fact, uh, in order for Israel to inherit the promises given to the church, uh, they need to be born again. Jews need to be born again. So Israel, uh, the, sh- the shift will, or the focus will shift back to Israel um, as soon as the church is raptured out of here. Uh, but uh, no, the, never the two. They become one, Ephesians chapter 2. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Tell somebody about the Jesus that you love with all of your heart. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.